Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Thinking Poker podcast from Catonsville, Maryland. I'm Andrew Brokus. This is actually the last you're going to hear of me on this episode. Lots to explain here. Um, first off, most of you probably know the deal by now, but uh, the reason you're hearing episode 89 is that this episode has long been unavailable. Uh, there was a period when the Thinking Poker podcast actually appeared on the Poker News podcast feed and was not on the usual Thinking Poker feed that most people are subscribed to and getting their episodes from, um, which means that even if you were to go back through the archives on your podcast app, you would not have been able to access episode 89 and some of the ones before and after it. Thanks to listener and early podcast guest Russ Fox, we have been able to retrieve these long-lost episodes. We've had the rights to them, we just didn't have the actual audio files. Uh, so we're re-releasing these from time to time to give people access to some of these early episodes that uh, for a long time they were not able to hear. This particular episode, uh, as I mentioned, I am not on. Uh, this is one that Nate did with Gareth Chandler, name uh, many of you may recognize. He was one of our earliest guests and uh, continues to be a regular guest from time to time, although I think he's been playing less poker these days and we've heard uh, less from him. But um, he, well, this particular episode, he's in Istanbul, and uh, you can hear some more recent episodes, um, like kind of updates to the work that he's been doing in uh, Turkey and Syria. A lot of interesting stuff that he's up to outside of poker, but I will let him explain that. A couple of other things that I want to tell you concerning uh, end of the year and some potential changes to the podcast, probably small things, but I think things people will uh, want to know about, in part because uh, there's some opportunities for you to shape the future of the podcast. So our uh, sponsor for a long time has been Tournament Poker Edge, and uh, we continue to feel very good about Tournament Poker Edge. Um, they are going to be ending their sponsorship. Uh, technically, it was the end of the year, but they had uh, prepaid and we've missed a couple of episodes recently. So uh, they still have some ads coming to them and you'll still hear ads for Tournament Poker Edge uh, for a couple more episodes before that comes to a close. But uh, yeah, we're, we're grateful for all of the support that they've given us over the years. Uh, Derek Killingbird Tenbush was one of our earliest guests, and they've been our strategy sponsor on every episode since then. Uh, I still work for Turn and Poker Edge, still make videos for them, still think it's a great resource for those of you. Uh, for instance, if one of your New Year's resolutions happens to be that you want to take your tournament poker more seriously, Tournament Poker Edge would be a great place to start your journey for as little as $25 a month. You can get access to hundreds, probably even thousands at this point of videos uh, from many instructors. I mean, I think I personally have made about 100 videos for them um, from you know, many, many top flight instructors, myself very much included. You can sign up for that at www.tournamentpokeredge.com. So that is one of the last ads that you will hear for Tournament Poker Edge on the show. Uh, does that mean the end of the podcast? Certainly not. Um, Nate and I have often said we were not in this for the money. Um, that said, you know, covering some of the costs related to the podcast 
was nice. Uh, we would like to continue doing that. Um, I'm not sure what form that's going to take. We may end up with a different sponsor. There's a few other things that were entertaining. Uh, but for those of you who are interested in ensuring that the podcast continues to exist, there are a couple of things you can do that uh, just makes it feel more worthwhile for us. The first is we have a number of products that uh, we've created, many of them premium podcasts, which are much more strategy focused than the regular show. And those are available at www.nitcast.com, N-I-T-C-A-S-T.com. That's where you can find uh, my book, a couple of books, that Nate has written, all the premium podcasts that we've done together, all that's available at nitcast.com. Um, that's one of the main venues or uh, methods by which we monetize the show. Yeah, so just knowing that, that folks are uh, buying from there um, helps to make the show feel more worthwhile for us. So if you want to support the show and get some really good strategy content while you're at it, head over to nitcast.com. The other main thing that uh, I've done at the end of the year that's made the effort that I put into the show feel all the more worthwhile is raising funds for the Bay Area Urban Debate League. Uh, for several years, I was a member of their board of directors. Uh, I'm not now, but I would still love to see people donating. So if you are, uh, I guess, let me let me say this. So first off, I mean we're we're grateful to everyone who's listening to the show. I mean just knowing that people are listening to the show and and seeing the the numbers and interacting with people on Twitter and getting emails from you, that really is the most gratifying thing of all for both Nate and me. I'm comfortable speaking for for him in this regard. We've talked about this, so I don't want to suggest that uh, you know we we expect or require that everyone is going to be contributing monetarily to the uh, continuation of the show. Let me let me make that clear. That said, you know, if, if you do want to go above and beyond, one of the things that um, has always meant the most to me is when folks have contributed to these end of the year fundraisers that uh, I've done with the Bay Area Urban Debate League. So uh, I'm not part of like a GoFundMe this year. Um, it's not going to be quite as organized of a push. However, um, if you could head over to www. B-A-U-D-L dot org, www.baudl, Bay Area Urban Debate League dot org. Uh, there's a button right there that says support us, or there's a tab called donate. Uh, they make it pretty easy to find the ways to contribute financially. Uh, make any contribution you like. Indicate that you're making it on, um, you know, in, in my honor or the honor of the Thinking Poker podcast or something like that. And uh, you know, they'll they'll let me know about what we bring in. And that's just you know something that makes me feel extra good about the work goes into the podcast when I see that you know every year we've raised a couple thousand dollars for the Bay Area Urban Debate. League, and that always feels great. So whether you're a longtime supporter, uh, let me just you know, prompt you to uh, make the year-end donation if you can, or if you know this this would be your first time doing it, but you're interested in making sure that the the podcast continues. This is a great way to do that. Um, if you'd rather contribute to a different Urban Debate League that's closer to you, uh, many of the largest cities in the U.S. have them. You can just Google you know Boston Debate League, for instance, is one that I <laughs> had quite a bit of personal involvement with, but but um, you, you can you know, Google other cities, and uh, I would be equally happy if 
you were to contribute to uh, any other Urban Debate League, if you would rather do that. Um, so I'm not necessarily going to know if you contribute to ones other than uh, the BAUDL, but I mean, well, you're welcome to, you know, tweet it at me or email me or whatever, but uh, I will very much appreciate it. And if you've enjoyed the show over the course of the year, uh, you can consider that a great way to give back if you're looking to do that. But again, just knowing that you're listening and enjoying the show is really the best gift for Nate and for me. So that's all I have on that front for now. Um, I'll keep you posted as things develop. I do want to say thank you again to Tournament Poker Edge for all their support over the years. And again, encourage you to check them out at tournamentpokeredge.com. Now enjoy this conversation between Nate Mavis and Gareth Chandler. of the Thinking Poker Podcast. From Somerville, Massachusetts, I'm Nate Mavis. And with me from somewhere he'll tell us is Gareth Chantler. How are you, Gareth? And where are you? I'm great. I'm from, I am coming from uh, Taksim Square in downtown Istanbul. I'm on a, uh, on a terrace, like uh, very close to the square. Ah, that's very, so do you have a nice view? Um... Yeah, I mean, it's kind of urban jungle view. Uh, I came out here thinking we we might get to hear uh, the first call to prayer if uh, we're out here long enough. I, I, I don't know what if it uh, bounces off the walls here or not, but depending where you are in the city, it can be quite uh, it will be quite the background noise uh, if if we get it. So excellent. Uh, yeah. So. People of my acquaintance who know much about Istanbul usually tell me that it's a really great place, and you are one of those people. You're you're a big fan of the city, yes? Yeah, it's um, I was it, it's like no other place on earth that I've been to at least. Uh, I How think so? that's the best way to describe it. Well, the I mean the main uh, ingredient in that is the is the uniqueness of uh, Turkish culture. There's they have their own language. Um, that is what basically came to, to be less than a hundred years ago, uh, with the inception founding of the modern state. Uh, so that language, uh, sort of binds, uh, the national identity and, and in that bubble, you know, comes, comes the, the modern culture, I think. But, but then all of that rests on like, thousands of years of conquest and and uh, a people you know uh from constantinople and the ottoman era and and so on and so forth so there's just like uh and then the city istanbul's 15 million people which is fucking enormous um it's a big city yeah so my friend emre like lives out uh i would crash at his place uh usually but being the enterprising individual that he is, he now sleeps on the couch that 
I used to crash on and rents his own head out. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so to like I, I went and saw him last weekend. It's like two hours by public transport. And we and I don't even you can take the metro bus from like one stop to another for like almost four hours and <laughs> not even be done like going from end to end of the city. It's just yeah, there's it's a crazy, crazy place and there's a lot of uniqueness um in what you'll find here. Yeah, and, and besides the sort of macroscopic, big picture cultural things that you talked about, like language and history and so on, one often hears a lot about nightlife and good food and fun and dancing and things like this. And this is something else you like, presumably? Uh, yeah, there's. I'm not too sure of the best places to go dancing in Istanbul, but. Yeah, okay, um, but dancing is, is maybe a stretch. <laughs> well, I, like, I don't mind dancing, I just don't know about here in the city there's um but yeah there's all sorts of food there's there's a lot of um food mistakes that you can make but they're you know uh part of the adventure i guess um and uh yeah there's a lot of not weird food but um you know i've been coming here this is my fifth time here in like 16 months or so and it's not so clear to me like where to get good baklava. It's not so clear to me like where to get the best, uh, you know, uh, urfa kebab or whatever. So, yeah, you could just <laughs> sometimes get a really good kebab and sometimes, you know, not get a good kebab. But um, there's really good cheap street food here. I like uh, the meatball sandwiches. You can get in Taksim for like $2 and they're amazing. So... So uh, so I've made a hosting mistake here. Uh, the, there are a lot of people listening to this show Don't, now who, who, who no learned about you from from poker news, right? So the gentleman going on at my urging about Turkish meatballs is actually uh, a, a several-time guest, uh, a friend of the show, a friend of mine, a friend of Andrew's, uh, a very smart and crazy person who, who I really like. It's Gareth Chandler, uh, <laughs> um, a, a dropout uh backpacked everywhere playing online poker you know from whatever hostel you happen to be playing in you should really just go back and listen to the old gareth episodes they're some of the most popular in the show's run everybody wants to know what you're up to uh you read a lot you're you're cultured etc <laughs> man there's no chance of living up to that zero <laughs> percent drawing good no but but people write in they really want they really want to know how you are doing uh you're, you're spending a lot of time in norway these days is that right yeah i just spent um i just spent uh two and a half months in in norway uh and i'm going back uh just for a weekend actually next next weekend um unfortunately as a canadian you can't stay in you can't just move to norway uh indefinitely for no reason, <laughs> like just to, to say, what, why are you here? Oh, whimsy, you know. I, <laughs> um, so yeah, so I do have to actually border jump, um, and I can't. And the 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 tough thing uh, I'm making uh, air quotes right now. The uh, kind of like uh, difficult thing is I can't go to like uh, Stockholm or I can't go to uh, Berlin. Those are in Schengen 
uh, the agreed area as well. So those days count against uh, my Norway days as well. So I have to go to Turkey uh, or, you know, Ireland uh, or, you know, Thailand or something. You know, I got to be outside of the European area to uh, while I'm uh, waiting to get more tourist days, basically. Basically, I, I can be there half the year, but not in a not in a row, not in a consecutive half. I see. And, you know, you have many reasons to, to want to be there. Uh, you really like the place, etc. cetera. Uh, but this fact that you have to travel around a lot, that that's OK for a for a poker lifestyle. Like not only can you play poker anywhere where there's an Internet connection and it's not the United States or various other places, uh, you're also a bit unique in the poker world. And some of our listeners might not know that uh, one thing that makes you uh, you know, sensible and, and somewhat unusual is that even though you're a strong enough player to beat 50 cent dollar zoom and presumably any number of other games, uh, you choose to supplement your income in the poker world by writing about poker. You, you've, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're doing this day, uh, these days, but you've written for the full tilt poker blog. You've written, excuse me, for various poker stars, uh, things. Uh, sometimes you publish things on Andrew's blog <laughs> and, uh, uh, are, how, how much of that are you still doing? Um, yeah, a, a ton up until uh, Monday, I guess. I'm I'm under contract with the Full Tilt Poker Blog until Monday. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, August fourth uh, or something like that. And then I'm gonna be in Dublin um, in two weeks. Uh, to meet with them to discuss like uh, how we're going to move forward with uh, you know with things. So I was actually looking at it, uh, looking at it today or yesterday. In the past year, I've put up. They hired me before to do uh, an event in Galway and and another live event in Montreal. Um, so in the past year, I've put up like over 250 posts on the blog there. Wow. And then, yeah, I've done um, numerous uh, recaps for the Poker Stars blog for Scoop and, and uh, Micro Millions of, of various qualities, some better than others. Um, and, yeah, I guess that's, a, that's about it. I, you know, before that, I was writing Borderline Gambling for the Stars blog, which was very fun. Um, didn't pay as well uh but yeah i haven't done any of that writing since then so actually it's kind of it's kind of up to me um i've kind of been you're right that it's uh sensible and you you're kind of a good person to bounce some of the issues off of i um yeah i just don't know how much of the work I should do because my previous position was first of all I just to fill some people in the backstory like I moved to Peru and was scraping quote unquote scraping by I to me I was living like a great life but if you look at the, <laughs> the balance sheet like you would be like oh my god this guy is like <laughs> living on the edge you know but um and like you know after Black Friday I went to um, 
not after Black Friday, but after I lost my full tilt balance, which was six weeks later, um, like rest of the world, uh, idiots who didn't take all their money off. Uh, I had to move, or I didn't have to move, but I made a move to Cusco, which is like uh, way up in the Andes, and I lived there for four months almost, or three months, uh, you know, rebuilding my role and, and just like really living a, you know, on a just low cost of living, basically. Um, so from that point, including a uh, point where I went uh, broke in Las Vegas at the World Series, uh, you know, waiting, waiting for my full tilt money <laughs> to return. Um <laughs> It's a, it still counts as broke, I think, if you, yeah, if you, yeah. you know, we, we, it was quite unclear if we were going to get that money back and if you're yeah, that's, literally that's, that's broke. Yeah. zero liquid money, you know, in debt. Um, I mean, if there's, if there's a guy next to you who will buy, who will buy it at, at 70 cents or something, then maybe you could argue that you're not broke. But, uh, right. if, if, if you're, if you have no deal like that waiting for you and if you have no money in your pocket, you've, you've. You've gone broken Vegas. Yeah, Congratulations. I, I had to call my friend Juan to buy me a plane ticket home, uh, actually, which was pretty funny. But anyway, so for coming from that, the, those like two like kind of reference points, um, I basically had a never turn down work policy. Um, so at one point last year, I was editing this very podcast, which was a lot of work and then yeah. I was writing for like three different or four different outlets and teaching classes for poker school online and making videos and card runners and trying to grind and trying to uh, like keep in shape or not lose my mind um, that's hustle yeah and now so now uh, fast forward to now I actually um, I have uh, reasonable amount of money to my name. I don't know how to. It's such a crazy turn of events. It makes no sense at all. Um, but I actually have uh, like have a bankroll, and I can choose not to work. Uh, so now I have the freedom to not work if I don't uh want to. Or, but I don't know what to do with this freedom. I, it's a scary, scary world. Um. And, uh, yeah, it's getting kind of, kind of hard because, uh, like right after I had this, I had a big square, as you know, um, and my only thought I had in my head was, uh, okay, now you have like a new job, a new kind of hard work and it's called, uh, don't blow the money. Um, <laughs> and the thing about it is a thing about like doing this hard work called don't blow the money is like all the other hard work like you've gotten good at, you're practiced at, all those right. skills not going to apply here because you've never been in this, you've never had this job before, the don't blow the money job. Um, so, so how do you how do you do that? I mean, I've I've known a lot of people uh, who have fallen into the, hey, there's money in my pocket, let's not blow all the money. That's that's a job that you know. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not surprised that you found yourself with that job given. Uh, how smart you are and how hard you worked. But um, so people react to that in a lot of ways. Some of them uh, quit the job, which is to say they blow the money. I've seen that happen <laughs> right. many times. Uh, others of them do 
somewhat suboptimal things by getting themselves really illiquid. Um, and I mean, from a, as a sort of guy with a lay interest in personal finance, it's, it's not something I'm really eager to recommend to people with self-control, but you know, I, I knew a guy who, uh, uh, put a hundred thousand dollars in a, like his father's bank account just to like prove to his father that he could actually do it or something. And then he was, he had no poker money within a month. Or so. so, uh, you know, I've, I've definitely known people to put money in IRAs and things like that. Those are a good idea, I think. But, um, yeah. So, I mean, Tommy Angelo's got some great stories about this. Like he bought stocks that would, were very hard to cash out and he put, put money all over the place that would make it hard for him to blow it all when he was tilted. Um, did you did you resort to any of these extraordinary self control measures, or, or how did how, uh, yeah how, how did you uh, get better at the job? Well, it's, it's, or did you? It's funny, like I um, well the first the first thing I did, which was not which was not hard for me to do, but did um, it was yeah. It, uh, sorry, I'm just trying to think of how to say this in a way that won't affect anyone the first the first thing i i did was i made a no loans policy right good and the thing good, good, good. the thing about it is that uh just calling back to my friend emre who i mentioned before like i loaned him uh a thousand dollars when we were both in university when i had i don't know two thousand dollars to my name you know, but he right. had he had like negative three thousand dollars to his name, you know, and we were in the uh, we were in it together, you know. Um, right. And uh, you know, I trust him uh, more than more than you know anyone. Um, and so it, it's not a matter of like not of uh, being willing to loan to to people in need. It's just. Yeah, it's just an unfortunate fact of the matter that I've observed other people coming into money and what happens, you know. So I made that uh, policy, and, and to almost everyone's credit except one particular individual, like I uh, was not solicited for, for any loans, and, and I had to turn down this one person who was kind of not my favorite thing to do. And, like, I would have loaned them the money had they asked for it prior to me getting the score, if you understand me. Right, of course. So, so that was kind of tough, but that's one thing I'd done. The other thing I'd done is I haven't touched the score money. So I kind of set the score money, uh, like in a, in a place in my mind where it doesn't get touched. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I have like a mini goal that I'm, I've been uh, in limbo for four months with not knowing, like I, yeah, I just had this romantic idea of putting a hundred K like into places I'm not going to touch in a, in a way um, by the end of the year, or I could do it right now. I mean, it's, you know, doesn't really, doesn't really matter, but I don't know where to put it or, or, or if, yeah, I mean, like it. I could put eighty, and I don't have to put a hundred. You know, it doesn't have to. It could be nine. I just want to see the six digits in the on the check or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, 
I've been basically in limbo. I haven't touched it. I don't know what to do with it. I've been, but the main things are, um, yeah, not um, everything I spend um, and paying off my credit card and everything that comes from the income I generate and, you know, what I had before, um, you know, so the machine still running basically like it never happened, but that, but that, you know, 100K is, is there and floating to super liquid. It's on Poker Stars right now. Like, I don't know what to do with it. Um, May I recommend yeah. some place where it will earn interest or have a tax benefit? Yeah. I mean, you're not in America, so I can't tell you anything specific, but uh, I might recommend putting your money to work or at least not letting inflation eat away at it. No, this is what exactly, right? Like, I want to put some put it somewhere where it can work for me but i also um not in the easiest tax like situation at all times you know. um, i see so yeah maybe you don't want to talk about this on air too much yeah, it's, it's fine it's like just to say that i just don't i'm not in any i've not done anything wrong i just um don't want to make some huge blunder you know like um, sure sure but um but the other thing, like, was I was in Thailand at the time, and I didn't, uh, apart from losing a large sum of money at a casino in Singapore along the way, um, I stayed at, like, subsequent to the score, I stayed at an $8 a night hostel in Cambodia, you know, uh, for, like, two weeks, <laughs> you know, like, I just... <laughs> try and find and then you know living in norway two and a half months there's no way that that can be cheap um but i yeah i mean i i basically paid paid that out of money that i was earning as i went so i didn't uh there's no yeah there's no way to live in norway on the cheap or, or live the way i did in norway on the cheap but i didn't touch the yeah the score money so that's basically so what I'm doing, yeah. So good for you. So you're you're taking your new job well. I think I think that's right. I think it's right to do it like a job. It reminds me a, a little bit of playing a lot of live poker, where whether or not you like it, you have the get home from the casino in one piece without getting robbed job. That's a job you have. You can ignore it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll recommend that. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you can ignore it, and probably that'll it'll work out okay for you. Uh, but but why not why not make yourself safer, you know? So uh, way way to be responsible. I, it's, uh... Well, the thing the thing that's kind of like I think you could well you already gave good advice, which is I agree with. I just uh, haven't solved the problem of like making it actionable yet. Uh, yeah. The the thing is though, I'm also um, you know, life doesn't last forever, and I—I uh, I don't know. I'm not—I'm not optimizing like my personal health, for example. Um, okay. I. Yeah, I don't know. I just—I sure. just—I don't do yoga every day, and I don't run every day, and I don't eat as well as I could, and I'm—you know—I'm in Istanbul, and it's smoggy you know like i kind of wonder why don't i would it be so bad to just um try and simplify like yeah just 
what if the I don't know. Uh, it's yeah. it's hard. To I agree. Seasons, I agree. You know? No, I I agree. Like certainly. I mean, I agree. I think I understand what you're saying. How about that? And doing everything you can now to um, slightly increase your bank account when you're 60, if you make it to 60, is probably not like all things considered, you know, the perfect thing to do and, and worrying too much about these things. And, you know, a lot of people think that even when they're old, they'll be happy to have optimized the primes of their lives and, and they're okay with that. Um, all that said, like buying some index funds and some bonds and some kind of mix or maybe just like a well-diversified sort of set of index fund type instruments. I mean, this is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, but basic investments that let you keep up with inflation, not that hard. Really not that hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, not yeah. that that was financial advice. I think. No. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, so it sounds like you're good. It sounds like, uh, uh, one of the thinking poker podcasts, favorite guests, one of the, the audience's favorite guests ever is, is doing well. This seems to be a happily ever after story. The first time we talked to you, you were definitely, it was pre-score. You were still grinding your way up. You were still figuring things out. I mean, you're still figuring things out now, but now you have a lot of money in the bank as you're figuring things (laughs) out. So, and and you seem like a happy guy. So good for you. It's, uh, yeah, it's on, uh, unbelievable. I remember I, uh, you asked me a question of the first <laughs> podcast, um, how, uh, cause I had been to Peru and I had done a little bit of traveling and you thought like, how, how had it not turned out so horribly? Do you think you got lucky? And at the time I answered like, no, I had gotten, I, I think the opposite, like a lot of things had to have gone wrong for me to taken sort of a drastic route that i had but yeah. like it's like uncanny ever since i asked that question it's like life run good like uh <laughs> up the wazoo you know it's like uh yeah there have been setbacks and things that haven't gone well but in the macro like i've just i don't know uh yeah orders of magnitude running above EV. it's really crazy yeah. To be fair, I mean, we can go back and check the archives to get sure on to get sure on this. But I think the form of my question was something a little more like, "Look, I know you, and I know you're smart, and I'm not surprised at your success or any future success. However, if you had just told me the story, not about Gareth, but just like smart guy, right. reads a lot, drops out of school, thinks he's great at poker." moves overseas and just thinks he's good enough to make it work i didn't ever think i was good at poker i still don't think i'm good at poker (laughs) (laughs) yeah see that's you know so that's actually good that means that uh yeah i think that's probably not unrelated to your success so 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 good for you (laughs) so i've got a proposal for you uh we, we had a five item agenda Number three was going to be a sort of mini ethics thing that's probably not all that interesting. And we talked about something more interesting, which is you. Right. So you want to just skip to the two hands and uh, give give the viewers some strategy? Uh, yeah, sure. Sounds great. Hey everyone, Andrew here. 
Sorry to interrupt the great work that Nate and Gareth are doing, but I'm just so excited to tell you about Tournament Poker Edge. Tournament Poker Edge doesn't just offer top-notch tournament poker strategy. It offers top-notch tournament poker strategy for your on-the-go lifestyle. All Tournament Poker Edge videos are DRM-free and smartphone and tablet compatible. Best of all, the new Stop and Go video series offers five-minute reviews of a single hand that are perfect for on-the-go viewing. Take your game to the next level by signing up today at TournamentPokerEdge.com. I enjoy the uh, Mid-Stakes Living podcast on Tournament Poker Edge. Actually, Andrew was on one of their podcasts, which is also also good. Um, so, yeah, they have good podcasts there at Tournament Poker Edge. Excellent. I, I, any other ones you like? I know So Killing Birds got one that, that I – that's a good one, yes. And then Yeah, I'm not sure of all the – yeah, stre- – strategy podcast i'm on the site now um right so the strategy podcast and mid stakes living those are the ones that i have um listened to so i would recommend both of those all right yeah good to know good to know baseball podcasts are consuming me a little bit these days so i'm <laughs> i don't really have first-hand knowledge of those but uh so our first hand comes from poker stars zoom one dollar two dollar oh you moved up it's exciting uh, yep, yep. I uh, beat uh, 100 and L pretty soundly, so now I get to donate to the 200 and L pool <laughs> regularly. <Okay. laughs> uh, you want to take us through the first hand, or at least pre-flop? Sure. I have uh, Ace Jack off suit uh, in first position. This is six-handed table, and uh, I made a raise to six dollars. I have a considerably deep stack, um, but what's going to be important is the villain's effective stack. Uh, they call in middle position, so we already have a good deal of information. Uh, I opened in the strongest position. They called in the second strongest position, which is itself uh, you know, strong in combination, and everyone folds. And they have $272. Uh, so 136 big blinds in front of them. And I flopped the absolute stone nuts, king, queen, 10, uh, with two clubs, the king and the queen of clubs. So I have ace, jack, no clubs. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm playing against a regular in this, uh, in this spot. Okay. So all that, uh, so all that makes sense, Nate? It does make sense. I, I think raising, I think I think raising Ace Jack under the gun in a six-handed game uncontroversial. Looks like you're opening three X. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so that's that all makes sense. I think you've set up the, uh, I think you've set up the hand well. Just to remind our viewers, Gareth has Ace Jack offsuit. He's flopped the nuts. There is a flush draw on board, and the effective stacks are two hundred sixty. Two dollars, uh, yeah, and there's fifteen dollars minus rake in the pot. Okay, so you start by checking, and would you check a lot of hands in the spot? 
yeah, this is, that is a really interesting question um, because uh, this is kind of one adjustment I've had to make at, at 200 um, and uh, embarrassing uh, misunderstanding of like protecting my checking ranges and balance that I have been trying to sort out this year. Um, <laughs> the, the situation in question is, yeah, how do you, you if you want to have a check call range here or a checking range here, it has to be protected. And, and what do we mean by that? We mean that it can basically take heat, stand up to heat uh, to put a bow on it. And uh, so I used to check a lot of hands here, like ace-queen, queen-jack, you know, uh, aces sometimes, or like uh, ace-ten of clubs. And in so doing, I was like, well, I check a lot of medium-strength hands and a variety of them. I, you know, therefore, obviously, my checking range is, like, protected. Um, but the actual, like, the truth of the matter is that uh, if you're always checking hands that can take two streets of heat and then have to like check hold the river, um, it's not so clear your checking range is protected. Um, and yeah, the thing that you on a board like this, especially the thing that you have to include, or I mean, have to is a strong word, but one hand you might want to think of randomly including in your checking range is the absolute stone nuts uh, yeah. in which case you are like there's no way you're not protected um, on just blank runouts right so if I if I have um, jack ten of clubs or ace ten of clubs here sure like I'm protected when a jack comes at some point or when a club comes at some point um, but what if it just bricks off you know then like Gareth's previously misunderstood checking range is all ace queen like bullshit hands that can't do anything, <laughs> you know. Um, and that that was a big problem moving up to 200 now. It seemed to me because even though there's still a lot of mistakes being made, like there's a certain group of regulars who um, uh, they have the follow through button, uh, yeah. so they're not going to let you off the hook if you're just yeah making mistakes uh with how you put your range together basically yeah i mean it's it sounds to me like when you said oh i'm i thought i was protecting my range but i actually just had a bunch of hands that could take two streets <laughs> yeah and i thought like well in a lot of the games i play that is just fine because you are not facing a lot of triple barrel bluffs and when you are they're often pretty transparent but but you make a good point against good players who have the follow-through button and can recognize uh, ranges that can't take a lot, that don't have a lot of can take three streets. Um, yeah, Andrew talks about these spots you know, quite a bit on the show. You you will get exploited. You will lose a lot of money that way. Um, can I can I invite you to say something um, a little bit more elementary about why straights can be a good hand to check? I mean, actually, it might make might also be an argument for betting here. But uh, one notable fact about flopping the joint with a straight is that you usually do not have the deck crippled. So there, there's often a lot of ways that your opponent can have a good hand. Um, so, so would you say that's the case here, where, where not only do you have the nuts, but 
there are all these high cards that he could conceivably be calling with before the flop, and you don't have any of them in, in your hand, so there's a pretty good chance of, of winning a nice pot and, and really catching with something. Whether you go about winning the nice pot by betting or by checking is a different matter, and I think you have a good argument for checking, but, but would you say that's a reasonable thing to say? Yeah, and there and in a lot of um, like not <clears throat> sorry, pardon me. In a in a lot of ways of looking holistically at poker, uh, no limit hold'em strategy that would all those things you mentioned would like add up to value betting in this spot because as I as I said, you know, uh, to start the hand like calling cold in middle position versus under the gun in six max that that's like the strongest cold call spot um available so when it comes king queen 10 like villain can have all the sets actually and they can have top two and they can have um ace king so uh you know amongst other things so it would seem to behoove some players to start building the pot now and as you said there's two clubs on the board another club could come and the board could pair and we could lose action on an ace or a jack uh even a nine so it it's um under a lot of uh ideological frameworks it's so counterintuitive <laughs> to counterintuitive to like check call here um and the a few things are true about that. One is, yeah, you're going to have to make tough decisions later. Um, but you also can't be scared of like the board running out. So one of the things about playing against good and potentially over-aggressive players is that um, they actually bluff on like flush cards this is like a big secret but 25 and l six max like no one ever bluffs and pretends they have a flush when the flush comes in <laughs> because they're okay. just petrified someone else has a flush like right oh the flush right. draw got there and i don't have a flush like ergo like i couldn't i can't bluff you know um, <laughs> so while that's true at 25 and l um it's not true at 200 and l and people at 200 and l actually um, uh, play with some degree of, of balance or whatever you want to call it, where, uh, you know, you got to make a tough decision, but you can treat, we could treat clubs here coming on the turn or the river or wherever. There's going to be situations when the club comes and that's an out for us to get value because we know he's going to perhaps over bluff it or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, so basically this is all a long winded way of saying, yeah, we're not always going to get like the perfect run out where we still have the nuts on the river. But the goal of like, including this in my checking range is not to, uh, to, you know, get all the money in when I have the nuts or, tr or, you know, uh, try and obtain that situation as often as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm not trying to obtain that situation as often as possible where I still have the nuts when big bets go in, you know, I'm trying to get the most value, uh, out of my, 
range and and against this player who's another regular who uh leading up to this this is the 20 this is like a week ago yeah or two weeks no a week ago yeah like in the three weeks prior to this hand this guy had been taking my money basically <laughs> so you know uh there's no two ways about that um yeah so i gotta you know i gotta stop playing like uh, a fish cake and and you know start giving him credit for playing balanced ranges and and just basically yeah protect protect my range and i don't know i'll try and make good decisions later no it makes sense uh one shorter way of <laughs> of saying some of this or summarizing some of this is that you know i'm i'm probably not as strong a zoom player as as you or your opponent are here but if you put me in the cold collar spot i would much rather you bet the nuts all the time than check it at least sometimes and i think like putting yourself in his shoes i think that makes you harder to play against especially given how often uh the cold collar is going to have something so you check he bets ten dollars and you call ten dollars this is uh, a you know a bigger bet than you might see at a 50 cent dollar game but i think reasonable especially given that stacks are a little bit deeper Hmm. so uh again gareth has ace jack the nuts there's now uh 35 minus rake in the pot and we have an eight of hearts turn king of clubs queen of clubs ten of spades eight of hearts gareth still has the nuts and he checks it again yep not much to to say about that i don't think and then uh, my opponent bet $46 into on the Poker Stars uh, graphical interface was probably $33 and change. Something like yeah, that. so so he overbet it, and that puts stacks in play a little bit more than than it did before. So there was like 250 some odd behind, and yeah. You know, with a with a pot of thirty three on the GUI uh, going into to the turn, you might not think that stacks are really in play. But then, if you call this bet, there's going to be you know ninety two plus thirty some, you know one hundred twenty something in the pot. So it's not going to be that easy to get all in. But but a lot more of your stack is in play. This is definitely a a bet with uh, with a lot of oomph behind it. And and what do you make of it? I think it's a great bet by him. Uh, uh, yeah, it like you said, it if I have ace queen or if I'm playing ace king in a quote unquote like protect my range but not really <laughs> protect my range kind of <laughs> way, um, or any number of hands that like uh, the other the other like rule sometimes with checking is oh I can't get three streets of value so checking's in play, uh, you know ten jack queen jack king jack uh all those kind of hands now i'm like oh he's over bet like i have no i'm in a no win situation with that range that he thinks i have at this point in time um and yeah the thing i previously might have thought uh was going for me was that the stacks weren't going to be in play but guess what? It's no limit hold'em. Like he can <laughs> decide to put the stacks in play. 
So if you're if you have ace queen in this spot, if you have like uh, jack ten, people just click call because they have an open ender and a and a pair. But if you have ace queen, it's like you you see forty six and you just know the river is going to be hell. So I I really like his bet. I think it's a good bet. And the way the board plays to the strength of my range also plays to the strength of his range. Like what can he he almost has to have something on this board. You know, he's probably folding threes pre. So there's just not a lot of pure bluffs uh in this spot. So I like I like it a lot. Yeah, very good. And uh because so you you just call and my conjecture is that you do this in part because uh you're you're playing the way you are because very recent incarnations of you and presumably many other players have a lot of hands that can call two but not three streets so you think that calling is a pretty good way to to catch bluffs later and also raising looks extremely strong like really very strong yeah so so that's why you call or some of the reasons why you call am i right yeah so i again like this was played a week ago maybe two weeks ago i paid off this guy when i shouldn't have in a yeah like a top pair top kicker um spot where i paid off his set where it's like oh i'm playing double the stakes i normally play i like can never fold this hand um like as uh i know that feeling has been yeah it's been mentioned on the podcast a few times <laughs> oh i moved up suddenly like you know queens are kings <laughs> you know yeah um well you know it, it the, the worry is that all the old exploitive things that you used to do will not work anymore right and you have to play different and better and that means that you could be getting bluffed at any time and if it seems like it should be in some kind of calling range in a sauce video then you should just click call with it Right. Um, exact. Yeah. Ex yeah. Correct. Amundo. Uh, <laughs> to make a hugely dated reference. Um. So. Yeah. So I just thought, oh, this is fantastic. He thinks I have King Jack like a hundred percent of the time. So I'm gonna call and then, you know, play play the river, assuming a very profitable situation. And yeah, raising just looks. Even though like I paid him off like um. You know, a guy who is not very good at poker earlier. If I <laughs> if I raise the turn here, I don't think he's going to um, be like, "Oh, I know this guy's not very good at poker. He's losing his mind." I'll, you know, I it's just looks way too strong. I don't think he thinks I am just like a rage monkey who will, you know, it's so nutted to raise the turn after he overbets. So I, I think that's a no option, basically. Yeah. Agreed. Precisely because he's he's really got something here a lot. Uh, so there there's a, a bit of a wrench in the plan on the river when there's you know 120 some odd dollars in the pot and I don't know maybe one and a half times pot behind and uh, a small club comes on the river. <laughs> yeah. So the flush draw gets there. That that's rough. And we, we didn't check with the ace of clubs like we're such fish, you know, what what all these bad things are going to happen now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you check again. Makes sense to me. Um, like what what point does betting have? Right. Right. So you check and he bets 124, roughly the pot. Yep. Yeah. 
well. So the listeners, <laughs> the listeners at home should know that I've done a very sneaky thing to Nate, and I've uh, clipped the hand history there, so he knows nothing further. He's operating totally in the in the dark here. I'm 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 in the same spot you are, dear listener. But you okay, know, here's... you know now that this guy has seen me pay him previously. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's uh, right. Yeah. So he's up in his hold the manager graph. He's up like six hundred dollars <laughs> something, <laughs> maybe five. I don't know. But. Uh, All right. So let's start with some obvious questions. I think the spots. Uh, I, I don't have a clear answer here immediately. So let's start with asking some basic questions. Basic question number one: How many flushes do you have? This is the thing. I think that he knows that I have at least two maybe three not which is not to say that two or three combinations is many at all it's not a lot of combinations but i definitely he he can be pretty certain that i have ace 10 of clubs and jack 10 of clubs with the possible addition of 10 9 of clubs um that much is is like totally clear um but that's it yeah Clubs. I, I don't I feel like he would not put that in my in my range to check the flop, but yeah, I'm not totally All right. sure. So right. So there's so there are some of those and notice that if he has, say, the Jack of Clubs in his hand, he blocks you know, every yeah. Yeah. So right. Three combos. And he could conceivably have blockers to some of those. So your range, um, yeah, not not a lot of flushes. Um, I'm not sure he thinks you would play some of the big sets like this. So I I think if you thought he was ready to bluff you before, I think this river should not deter him from buff, bluffing and should maybe only encourage him. Would you say that that is reasonable? If he Sorry, can you <laughs> say that one more time? So one reason you're checking and calling is because your range is such that he should want to bluff you. Um, my my claim, based on what we've just discussed, is that the flush card hitting on the river should not deter him from, from that plan, and in fact should maybe only encourage him. It's right. it's a good bluff card for him. Is that right? Uh, it, it's, a bl- it's a good bluff card in what was already a good bluffing spot you have said. Brilliant. Is that true? Brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you probably said just as brilliantly the first time, but I was looking for the results on my computer. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Can, yeah. Can I also can I can I invite the listeners uh, uh, into you know a little bit behind the scenes there? It's the middle of the night in Istanbul, <laughs> and Gareth is trying very hard here. So let's yeah. <laughs> let's. Um, and I, I and I, I'm not used to uh, being the main host here, so it's yeah. We're fumbling in the dark. Uh, yeah. Well, that's a that's a good title for the episode. Episode eighty nine fumbling in the dark (laughs) so i agree i think like i kind of alluded to this uh, in the first place that i think he and the other thing is that i mean this is giving this guy a lot of credit because it's not true that regulars who play this stake are like superhuman there are better six max players uh, on poker stars we're you know playing 500 and 1k um every day um yeah and uh so he 
So the point I'm trying to arrive at is he could know I don't have a lot of flushes. So in addition to bluffing, like his bluff candidates, he can also potentially go for value with non-flushes in this spot, right? I, I agree. And one reason he can go for value with non-bluff flushes in this spot, uh, not only for the reason you said, is because from you know uh, he he doesn't have a whole lot of flushes here. Yes, so right. uh, the 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 king and the queen are out there, and how many suited hands is he calling with before the flop that don't have a king or a queen in them? Some probably, but uh, maybe not. Maybe not all that many. Um, so what's he doing with Ace Jack of Clubs before the flop? Yeah, calling? I think he's probably calling. But like even okay. but Ace Ten, he's probably pitching. Like looking yeah. at the players behind, there's a yeah, just one weak player it looks like to me. So he's probably pitching Ace Ten of Clubs and Jack Ten of um, Clubs. He's probably flatting Jack Ten of Clubs just because, okay. yeah. I mean, we're deeper, and he doesn't rate me as the best uh, player for for good reason. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like we're all talking about like his mistaken beliefs, but like he has good reason for these mistaken beliefs. You know, I have right. strong evidence in favor of uh, that read. Yeah. So yeah. I think. So, so now I don't think. Sorry, I'll I'll, I'll let you finish. What What do you think? No, I just think he can value bet any set here, and then, and it and it's clear to value bet those, and then it starts to get, you know, where to draw the line at where he can stop value betting. Not so clear, but um, King Queen seems like he should strongly consider it. It'd be pr- kind of nitty to check back King Queen. In. Good. So we've determined that you don't have a lot of flushes that he doesn't have a lot of flushes. And although he's overbet the pot, which often sort of narrows the range, um, at, 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 you know, the value I'm bluffing ends. Um, you know, this, this makes me think that you're still very near the top of his, at the top of your, your range and you can beat a lot of his range. So I, I conclude that the choice here, if there is a choice, is between calling and raising. And the only possible raise size is um, a less than min raise jam. Is that is that correct? Wow, you just do you, do you disagree? With, go ahead. Blew my mind with the possibility of raising. Oh no, I'm just saying, like like we're talking about this presumably not not only because it's an interesting spot, but also because presumably there's a decision. But if we're assuming that this guy is good, um, I, I, I don't think the way to react to a good player is to fold like the third best hand in your range um, when the better hands could be blocked and he can beat it very rarely. Yeah. And, uh, I think, and, and he yeah. probably has a lot of bluffs in his range to get to that street. You know, I mean, it, I, I, it's scary, I guess. I mean, I'm not sure I wouldn't be surprised to lose, <laughs> but uh, I'm not clicking fold. Am I right? Right. Yeah. I think the, the didactic points, have already sort of been made to lead up to that. So, yeah, I think that folding, like when we first showed this hand, folding might have been uh, considered, but considering everything we said, I I think it's, I, I don't think we should raise, though. I don't think that's, um, no. Like he's, uh, he's going to be a hero and fold like a set of queens if we raise, basically. So I don't want to raise. Yeah. I, I, I would not have raised either. I would have called. 
and uh, you would have won against a set of tens with the ten of clubs. Ah. Which is, so, yeah, interesting. Yeah, how, how do you like his play? I rate it very well. Um, this did nothing to dispel the, uh, yeah, the, like, uh, the previous, like, he owned me a few times, and I think the first time I was like, uh, not sure if that line was so great by him, you know, because I was real, uh, uh, prone to saltiness about <laughs> making a mistake. I, you know, it, it's funny when you, um, yeah, when you aren't under like the delusion that you're excellent at poker, but you're also like salty about some other guy getting the bear of you. So you're like, ah, well, I'm not going to make a decision about whether he played that right or not. You know, it's <laughs> all these qualifiers on how you're, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, holding yourself in mental relation to to how poorly you played or how well you played. But um, yeah, by the second time he owned me, I was like, oh, okay, he's doing these things for good reasons that uh, make sense to take my money away from me. So I, I think this is uh, in lockstep with that. I think this is a good... every Everything that he's seen from me and everything that he should assume about the average, um, like break even regular at these stakes or new regular or whatever the case may be like, it just, everything makes sense for him to play this hand this way in this spot. It seems to me. So, so full marks to your opponent. <laughs> yeah. If, it, unfortunately. If Bill, yeah. If, if Bill Chen were here, I think he would say something like, look, if your opponent's good and you beat so much of his range, and you're so close to the top of your range, you're probably still beating a lot of his range, even after he bets. And if he's so good, he's going to fold all his hands if he raises. Like I, I mean, you said he's going to fold a set of queens, but if, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm not saying I would raise here. I'm just, I'm just saying from a theory point of view, like if this were the zero one game. You know, you're holding a number pretty close to zero. I think the zero is the good end in the book. Um, you know, and I just, it's, I, I could imagine Bill Chen arguing for a raise here. Yeah, I can. <laughs> How about I, that? I could definitely see it. I just, um, yeah, I could definitely, definitely see it. All right. So, Bill Chen, if you're listening, which you're not, but you know, <laughs> write in and tell us what you would do. He didn't, he didn't make it through the whole, uh, yeah, the Istanbul segment. <laughs> or the TPE uh, attempted TPE ad. Yeah. Oh no. I may have to, <laughs> give me your Yeah, I think I may have to re-record that one. All right. So we've got time for maybe one more shorthand. How, how, how about that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so this is also a hand. So this is a hand from Fifty Cent Dollar Zoom. Uh, Gareth is under the gun. No, he's not under the gun. Gareth is in the small blind. Okay. And it folds to him. He has $127, so he has a slightly larger stack. He has 127 big blinds. The big blind covers. He has a six offsuit and min raises to $2. So conventional wisdom is to raise a little bit more out of position sometimes, yet you are min raising from the small blind. Um, that's interesting. Is it exploitive? Uh, do you think, you know, to, to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, I'm a sneaky, 
sneaky get here. I'm just trying to take people's money when they're not paying attention, basically. I see. I see. So you think you think that you know laying 150 to win 150 is just a really good bet here? Yeah, 150 to win 150 is so enticing uh, from my perspective. And the uh, yeah, this might be giving away a bit too much, but one of the differences between like players at this stake and perhaps higher stakes is that they can't handle the handling of uh, their aggression that I do, you know, like, uh, right. Th- which this hand is actually going to be a great example of me handling their, their handling. So it, it's exploitive and then regulars try and do things about it. And, um, I have a thousand buy-ins, uh, for the stake. And they're just <laughs> like, uh, you know, so I just, uh, yeah, don't, don't, uh, let them basically. Um, I see. Yeah. Good. So um, <laughs> I think our listeners know this is a fun hand already. <laughs> Good. So the big blind re-raises you to $5. So again, you're 127 big blinds deep. You have been three bet to five big blinds and you're sitting there with a six and you decide to four bet him to $15, 15 big blinds. And uh, I, I think you, you gave it away there, yeah. basically. Well, you said yeah. short hand, so. <laughs> yeah. No, so so you think that this is going to be, if not a bluff, uh, I mean, if not if not a really light part of his range, uh, something that won't be able to take a lot of heat, so you turn up the heat, and I like it. So Poker Balls decides to re-raise you. He doubles your bet and makes it $30. And um, you decide to jam on him for 127. So you, so, you may, so you go from 30 to 127 big blinds. And can you say anything more other than he's a regular who's trying to exploit me badly, so I'm just going to own him? Can you say anything <laughs> more to that about why? Like, do you think that this bet size, 15 to 30, do you think that that's particularly bluffy? Um, do you think that he's likely to slow down with his best hands sometimes? Um does the ace blocker that you have in your hand play a big role um why exactly was this the right spot to to you know shove it in his face yeah it's um it's funny like the lack of humility surrounding this 50 cent a dollar hand compared to the previous uh hopefully came across as humility in the previous hand um yeah the the bet size it's not so clear to me like uh some players make this bet size uh, with ace king, and then they own me when I when I shove, or you know, in some other hypothetical uh, case, and you know, they make it with aces and, and so on and so forth. Um, the thing is, extending like my HUD stats and read on his three bet to like the plausibility of him five bet folding. So, what do I mean by that? He three bets 27% versus small blind opens. And he um, three bets 10% total and 14% versus hero uh, total. So he's a player who likes to three bet in general, which is fine. He three bets a bit more versus me over our history. Um, also reasonable. 
And then in this specific spot, big blind versus small blind, he goes to town. Um, then I know that he doesn't fold to four bets very much. Uh, or, yeah, I mean, he folds to four bets slightly less often than he should. He probably folds 40% overall to four bets from what I can tell. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 27% of hands is a lot of hands. And uh, if, I don't know, uh, half of those hands are surely candidates to five bet fold. And I think he's going to, like, uh, you know, realize uh, he's going to elect those candidates to office, to the office of, of getting owned uh, pretty often. <laughs> and, um, yeah, basically, basically, the other thing is he, I'm, I made this min raise to two and he three bet to five. And I also don't think that he would, had he seen, oh, our effective stack is this. And, oh, I, he has to presumably have some knowledge of his own, uh, big blind versus small blind three bet percentage, you know, cause he's basically clicking the button all the time. So, you know, <laughs> if he knows that I would see that he three bets a lot in the spot and he had aces, he presumably wouldn't always make it five dollars you know um i think that's kind of i i think that's a bit more informative than the than the five bet size even though the five bet size it's like very clear that uh he can five bet fold with like a lot of hands that he won't feel priced in uh with the the real problem is my hand like you is my ace blocker that valuable you ask no not really, because it also blocks. It it probably blocks more of his five bet folds than his. Um, yeah, it probably blocks a greater percentage of his five bet folds than his five bet calls, uh, just because of the fact that like playable king x, he's probably just going to call the four bet. Uh, so he's probably not five bet folding king x. He's probably calling the four bet with king x. So yeah, so he probably has a lot of, like jacks queens kings um in his five bet call range as compared to like uh other hands uh he probably calls with ace queen versus the four bet uh yeah so i i don't know um my this is the real problem with my hand like all these stats and reads and everything argue well for the six bet uh the problem is i have a terrible hand uh <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's uh, I, I have enough in in the other uh, I have enough in the read category to to make up for the you know if I had, like weaker information but ace five suited then I can still shove you know but I have stronger information a slightly weaker hand so I can clear that bar uh, to press like the all in button. I like it. I like it. Um, among bluffy hands which would be from a blocker perspective uh would you rather have king eight here than a6 uh probably not because um it's nice to have that like 29 percent versus kings uh yeah so i would say probably rather have the a6 yeah all right makes sense makes sense 
All right, can I, can I get some results? Did he fold? Oh, right. Yeah, he did fold. Right. I I don't have it actually in front of me, but I remember he folded. So. All right. Well, nice hands. Nice hands. And uh, how many listeners do you think are still listening to the show? <laughs> have we been that, that boring? You, uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I have things that are... <laughs> I don't know. Uh, like, we, there's been some lag between when we knew we were going to do this and, and now. So I had all these uh, things going through my head today that, that I was like, oh, maybe this would be interesting. And then, you know, you occasionally think, oh, that's only interesting to you. So hopefully <laughs> not all of the things that we talked about were the things that are only interesting to me personally. No, not at all. Not at all. So I say that for two reasons. Uh, no, I say that for one reason, basically. I think I think a lot of the fanship of the show is, is, is based around fanship of Andrew. And I also think that some of our listeners right now are Poker News listeners who subscribed for the World Series of Poker season. So I think... Um, the show was decidedly not about who won the bracelet and the 10 K stud. So (laughs) I think we might've lost some of them. Oh, I see. I see. Um, no, but thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate you, uh, staying up so late or waking up so early and, uh, taking time off of your busy schedule and introducing yourself to some of our listeners and, uh, catching up uh, the rest of our listeners. So thank you very much. Oh, it's yeah. It's fun. I, uh, yeah, big fan of the show and support what you guys do. So I'm always happy to be on. And I, you know, it's just, uh, no knock against you. You know, it's just kind of, uh, I guess a little expected that Andrew, you know, big times me and doesn't have time, you know, to (laughs) such a big shot. But, you know, we do our best. Uh, we, we soldier on without his, uh, overflowing charisma and, and whatnot so that's right that's right boy i didn't even mention him he's uh <laughs> your listeners he's 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 moving he's got stuff going on in his personal that's life right. he just couldn't that's do right. it this week I, I couldn't do it on on tuesday and then he couldn't do it the rest of the week so uh so you got me and gareth so uh there that's that's what you get okay <laughs> he did to, he actually told me this that he's moving to san francisco so i'm not yeah, I have no grounds on which to needle, but it was all in all in good fun anyways. Yeah, yeah. Boy, there's a city that's not Nick Cast approved. It's a cool city, but it's... Oh, yeah. Norway and uh, San Francisco would be just you and uh, Leo Wolpert and Carlos in the Nick Cast family after after this. Yeah, so, Somerville, Massachusetts is, is feeling pretty good right now, I think. Um, yeah, so... So thank you very much for coming on the show. We can bid our listeners farewell, and uh, Andrew will be back for episode 90 next week. Thank you very much, everybody. Won't,